and welcome to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with Janice Wolf. Well, how is everyone today? What a beautiful day we finally have here in New Jersey. Man, it has been pretty nasty out here. This has been quite a winter. But the great thing is that we've finally gotten into spring, and I think finally we've got some weather that we're not ashamed of. So let's talk about the differences of what you're going to do in this weather versus what you're going to do in the winter. Now, it doesn't sound like really a brainstorm, but it really is. You have to realize that, yeah, it's only spring, but your car can still get heated up really quickly. And in the summer, you know, we know, obviously, we want to be careful not to leave toddlers or dogs in a car. But in this weather, you know, where it's like 60 or 70, and we, you know, don't keep the windows down, it can still heat up to over in the, well into the 90s, if not over 100, because of the body heat of the dog and because the sun and the greenhouse effect, where it actually will heat the air up inside your car, even on a nice day when it's only 70 or 75 degrees. So make sure, if you do have a dog in the car, that you have the windows open. They make these really cool grates, and if you have a uh, hatchback or something that's uh, kind of like a, uh, like I have a Lexus SUV, you know, the big ones, they have these gates that you can buy, and it goes right across. So you can leave the windows open, but the dog won't be able to get out because the dog will be in the back of the gate. Now, what's also a very good idea is to make sure that you have some kind of a spill-proof water bucket. Now, they do make those that has almost like an extra side that goes kind of wraps around the bowl so that if it splashes around, it won't make a mess. I mean, if it completely falls over, it might make a little bit, but, you know, as you're moving and you're going over bumps and your dog hits it or steps on it, uh, it's a great gadget, and it will uh, it's a spill-proof water bowl, they call it. Now, when should you not feed your dog? I suggest people not feed their dog within an hour of going into the car. Now, that doesn't mean every dog. Wyatt can be in the car with, you know, he can be eating his dinner in the car, and he's done that a number of times. But the average dog, and the thing I get a lot of times, especially after a winter where we haven't taken the dog out, is people say, why does my dog get nauseous and throw up in the car? Well, I don't know if your wife or your husband might complain about your driving that he or she wants to uh, throw up in your car as well, but, uh, you know, even if you're a pretty good driver, if you imagine that the dog is in the back and it's a different ride, it's kind of like riding in the front of an airplane versus the tail of an airplane, you feel it in a different place. The middle of the airplane typically doesn't move as much because it's like a pendulum and the middle is like a fulcrum, which is in the middle, so that the middle, like on a, a teeter-tot or a seesaw, the middle of it doesn't really move as much, but the ends of it move quite a bit. Same thing with the dog. So if your dog is way, way in the back, just remember, don't, don't be taking these, you know, really killer curves. And, you know, just remember, your dog is going to go flying. He's not seat belted in. Now, it, some people will actually have in the middle of their car, they'll have the dog in a harness or a seat belt. That's a great idea, but make sure that you have it adjusted properly. I was really, really uh, extremely disturbed when I heard about a law that was instituted because I originally thought, wow, isn't that great? There's a law to protect the dogs so that they don't go flying in case of a car accident. 
Isn't that the best thing? I love the government. Not that I do. But I love that the government is watching out for our dogs. And then a friend of mine whose brother is in a very high-ranking political place, um, I mentioned it to him. I said, oh, this is so great, you know, that it's, it's wonderful, the fact that you have this, you know, really, really awesome, um, you know, law that, you know, you have to belt the dog in so that the dog is safe. And he said, well, you know, we're, our family is dog lovers, but, uh, you know, the, the problem, unfortunately, is that that's not why it was done. Why, would, why else would you put a law in for belting a dog in and making sure the dog isn't going to be able to go fly through a windshield? Well, because in car accidents, anything that's a projectile, especially a substantial-sized dog, 30, 40, 50, 60, 90, 100-pound dog, flying when you stop short, that dog can slam into you and break your neck or cause you harm or cause you damage. That is why this law was instituted. So, you know, it's a good law, but it's, I don't know if I really love the fact that it was uh, put in for that reason, but all right, whatever. So when you do belt your dog in, you know, don't just do it and then go on a 10-hour road trip. Um, I think the biggest, cre- you know, problem that we have with the little creatures we bring is we think that their little bellies are used to everything. Now, you can, again, not feed your dog, and if you're taking your dog, let's say, at 10 o'clock for a, a two-hour drive, you can feed your dog later, you know, and, and don't give him a full meal. Or you can feed him, you know, a few hours before. But I have found that I deal with a lot of this with people who call me and they say, hey, Janice, you know, I, I don't really have a behavioral issue, but I've got a problem with my dog. You know, he hates to go in the car. And when I do get him in the car, he always throws up. But he throws up, like, at the end, right before we get there. So think about if the dog is going to be going in a car for two hours to your mother-in-law's on Sunday, then don't just put him in the car on Sunday morning, and you know, after he's eaten a full meal, and let him go. What you want to do instead is make sure that you have uh, a shorter distance, and some dogs... I have a, a, new, a new client I'm going to be seeing this week that the dog is so sensitive, the dog can't even go into the car. Literally, you can put the dog in the car within 15 seconds or so before you can even start the car, the dog throws up. That's anxiety. But some dogs do have issues with their inner ear. They do have problems where they get nauseous. Now, my Savannah, who, you know, we're going to be driving Savannah to Indiana, for a big uh, fire conference that will be uh, uh, doing several, probably about 1,500 to 2,000 cancer screenings. But the first time that Savannah was in a car, she yacked all over the back of my car, which I've had my, my Lexus yacked in many times. I know it's a fancy car, but I don't care. It's a car. And the more important thing is, of course, having the dog and the people that are inside of it who are going to be safe, so I don't really care about the car. But, you know, I took her basically about 10 minutes, and she threw up just as we got there. So I took her for a five-minute ride, and same thing. She yacked just before we got there. So it wasn't necessarily the time, but the anxiety. Now, it's a good idea, and especially if you've recently got the dog, to bring the dog into your car, let the dog kind of, you know, get used to the car a little first um, so that it's not getting used to it, you know, on a long ride. 
And you don't even have to take the car out of your driveway. You can take your dog, just bring him into the car, open the opposite door. Very, very, very important. So if the dog is apprehensive about going into uh, the car, but if instead if you have the opposite side open, then you're going to wind up um, okay because if the side is open, you can literally feed the leash through and have the other person take the leash and call the dog through as if you were using it like, in a, like a tunnel you would do in, in agility. Um, and speaking of that, um, I'll tell you at the top of the next segment um, about why it's amazing little brother. Um, so anyway, there are all kinds of great tricks that we can do to make sure that your dog is going to have a great fun trip. So we will talk about the incredible Rambo's John Dillinger in just a moment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Share the amazing stories of shelter dogs whose lives are changed by changing others. NuVet Plus, your pet's best friend. NuVet Plus is an immune system builder that is safe for all stages of your dog's life. Helps eliminate most issues, including allergies, scratching and itching, hot spots, arthritis and joint issues, chronic ear infections, tear staining, lack of energy, digestive issues, and so much more. All natural, manufactured in an FDA-registered human pharmaceutical lab here in the USA, using ingredients sourced in the USA. Nothing artificial, no sugars, wheat, corn, or dyes. Never heat treated to help retain all the natural rich ingredients. Comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and is only pennies a day. Call us Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. 1-800-474-7044. That's 1-800-474-7044. And tell them you are referred by All Paws Pet Talk Radio. Or go online to www.nuvet.com. That's www.nuvet.com. Use order code 33955. Again, www.nuvet.com. Order code 3395. Put your pet on the path to good health. Share the incredible process of shelter dogs whose lives are saved and are saving the lives of special needs children. And welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with Janice Wolf. Well, we're talking about how to get your dog in the car and not leaving him in the car, folks, like we leave toddlers and go into work for eight hours. I don't know how you could do that, but, you know, hey, who am I to judge? Now, we were talking a little bit about Rambo's John Dillinger, who has more titles for obedience than I could ever, ever even remember. He's, like, on this Arch XM title now, and... I mean, he goes in. I don't think he's ever had a non-qualifying score in, you know, five years and five, six years of obedience. But he's one of the top dogs in the country, and I believe he's a top Ridgeback right now. What's really cool, though, is um, Noel and Melissa, who are really awesome uh, owners, they, when they first wanted Dillinger, they, uh, Noel wanted Dillinger. Melissa wanted another really pretty big male, um, and I kind of said, hey, you know, I don't think the other male is, is the right dog for you. I think this dog is right for you. And fortunately, they, uh, they went by my judgment, and it was a good judgment. Well, Dillinger is this amazing, sweet, gorgeous little Wyatt brother. I mean, he's not little. He's probably like 85, 90 pounds. 
but for in our in our world that's kind of little. Um, so he's doing great. But they didn't just take him out in one day, and suddenly you know he was this perfect dog. They took him and they introduced things to him slowly at the beginning, until he could get used to things, and he could be comfortable with things. And then once they got him to that point, they progressed very slowly, although very quickly comparatively to other dogs, but still slowly enough so that they didn't create any fear or any apprehension in the dog. Now, you can do obedience. I never knock obedience. It's fun. You know, I mean, I have some rally titles with my dogs. And, you know, Dillinger's got all these amazing titles. So it's not that obedience is bad or clicker training or anything. Now, get me started on shock collars and prong collars and, you know, flying dogs over your head like the police work does. Um, you know, that I'm not going to ever like. Swerve bottles and, you know, things that penny cans and scaring your dog and throwing things like the crazy Australians do, throwing things that's like a bicycle chain in, in, a, in a fabric uh, thing that they throw at the dog and they say, well... You're not throwing it at the dog. You're throwing it to the dog, toward the dog. Well, you know what? If you were throwing darts, big darts, or shooting a bullet kind of at toward me versus at me, I wouldn't really be worried about the difference. I'd still be running, and I'd be scared of you, and I'd never trust you. And you know we talk a lot about connection, a lot about trusting our dog and our dog being able to trust us to be a good leader and that we're going to be stable and confident and happy and be great prote protectors and providers. That's what's important. So why can John Dillinger, Rambo's John Dillinger with all the gazillion titles, and Grand Champion Champion Rambo's Gunfight at the OK Corral, JCSC, uh, what else has he got, AOM, um, and WISPA, Grand Champion this and that, and, and Sedona and Grand Champion, this and that, and, and Prince and all these. Why are all my dogs able to do these really cool things? Because they have a great start. These puppies that are just 10 weeks old now have been housebroken for probably about four full weeks now. They sit on the table at the veterinarian's office like little ladies and gentlemen, like you would say like a 10-year-old lab or golden, you know, when they're really, really good, right, when they're old, and you'd say, wow, so well behaved. Well, these puppies are like that and have been since they're about six or seven weeks old. Well, my puppies get the best of everything. They're very, very fortunate because they also wind up having, um, you know, the best, literally the best behavioral, uh, you know, modification so when they start doing something right at the beginning, they learn, oops, I'm not allowed to do that. Now, I'm not mad at them. They're just puppies. They're just dogs. But I'm teaching them. And you have to think of it, instead of always worrying about, you know, training your dog and making your dog do this and giving him food and give him food and give him food and give him food. I call that obedience through obesity. But give him food, 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 food. And then you wind up making your dog food, right, food reactive or food aggressive because the dog suddenly is only motivated by food. I don't want my dogs to be motivated by food. I want my dogs to be motivated because they love me, because they want to please me. They want to do things to help me and to make me happy and to, to make me proud of them. And dogs get it. 
they really, really do. They get it. So if we're, you know, if we're not, um, you know, doing the right thing, that and we're, um, you know, instead, you know, torturing them basically by, you know, here, I'm not going to give you this treat unless, you know, you're good. Well, that's not fair. Just give your dog a treat because you love him. Now, it doesn't mean you can't train him to sit or lie down or do party tricks for strangers, but I don't really want to. I'd rather train my dogs and teach them to find cancer in people and to work with special needs kids in schools and to detect cortisol and seizures and blood sugar and and all those kind of cool things that my dogs can do. So how do you get your dog to do it? Well, it's kind of cool, and we're offering right now for for people, and we only offer this course once a year, and it lasts almost a full year. Um, And then we also have one for fosters. So let me tell you a little about what we're doing. Merlin's Kids, 855-HI-WYATT, or you can go on the website at www.merlinskids.org. If you go on the website, you'll see that we offer special training classes for service dogs. We have another one for therapy dogs, and we even have a really, really cool one for people who want to do stuff in the schools. So people who want to um, use their dog or have a dog trained to do that and work in schools with special needs kids or even kids that are taking, you know, tests and are stressed out, we can do all that cool stuff. It's not just about having a dog that's going to sit on command. It's about having a dog that understands what his job is and that he's going to do this job to help these humans. Now, we don't want to overwork the dogs either, obviously, but what we can do is give the dogs enough of a rest where they, you know, they're not harmed. You don't want to overdo it. You don't want to overwork because then, you know, your dog's not going to be worth anything. You've got to make sure that you don't burn them out. You don't want him to be, you know, I don't mean worth nothing money-wise. I mean worth nothing physically because you're going to burn them out. Um, so, you know, even when we do our cancer and disease detection dogs, those dogs can't work every single day. We work them every other day, if that, so that the dogs are always having a rest and being dogs. You know, after all, you know, it's like they say all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Well, all work and no play for a dog who's doing cancer detection or working in a school with special needs kids, you know, it's going to potentially make that dog very stressed. So we have to make sure we take care of the dog first. All right, so talking about that, we have... The United Canine Professionals.com, and we are starting in the end of April or the first week in May. We are starting our next class for people who want to be certified in natural canine behavior rehabilitation. Special shout out and kudos to DJ Wright, who I'll be seeing in a few weeks in North Carolina, who actually started out listening to my radio show and uh, called me one day and couldn't believe she got me on the phone. And uh, we were speaking, and she applied, and she was actually accepted through the admissions committee um, of United Canine Professionals, and the rest is history. And she's uh, graduated through the class, and now she's going to be going for her certification. Super talented lady. So one of you may say, hey, you know, I love this. I want to go help dogs, and I want to help kids. How do I do that? Well, you can call 855, the number 4 the letter K, the number nine pros, P-R-O-S, 855-4-K-9-PROS. 
And you can also go on the UnitedK9Professionals.com website. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Learn how to teach your dog how to be a service dog. When it comes to health expenses, dog owners have it rough. Now, thanks to veterinarian and dermatologist Dr. Kristen Holm, your dog can be goo healthy. There's Doggy Goo to find environmental pet allergies, Goo Gut Rescue for rescuing your dog's gut health, and Goo Silver, a broad-spectrum supplement for the special needs of your senior varsity dog. So visit HealthyGoo.com today or call 855-246-2426 and your dog can be healthy goo, healthy. Share the amazing stories of shelter dogs whose lives are changed by changing others. And welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with Janice Wolf. And what would our show be without a big shout-out to the future Dr. Jody Joseph, who is going to be a veterinarian. She's in her second year up there at Cornell and. uh Super talented. She's a certified natural canine behavior rehabilitation specialist. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And just uh, one of the most special people in the world. Definitely big kudos to her. And uh, Olivia Church, who's in North Carolina, in Boone, North Carolina, she's certified. If you need uh, help in North Carolina, we've got you well represented. We've got a few new people that we're going to be uh, certifying as well. And Ashley Krause, who's down there, who's wonderful, and she's down in the Raleigh area. So, you know, we have a lot of wonderful people. We have, after this class graduates, we'll have almost 200 people around the country. And we also have people in England, Ireland, France, Bulgaria. We're training someone in uh, South Africa now. We have Australia, Japan, crazy places. But if you're listening and you say, you know, wow, I would love to do this, we can arrange for you to train. Some of it is distance and some of it is uh, hands-on. But it's just an amazing program. You've got to call up, and, and if you're at all interested, or you know somebody who's interested, because it's a life changer and it's a game changer to learn how to save lives, to not only rehabilitate dogs, but also to be able to train dogs to become service dogs and to become, you know, lifesavers for people. And these are dogs that we're going to be euthanized. So it really is important, I think, for everybody to respect the dog and understand that the power that they have and stop you know just abandoning your dogs a lot of people down south and i don't mean to pick on down south but we do get a lot of our rescues from you know down south and in the midwest so you know maybe it's that people are are overwhelmed maybe it's that the economy is worse there i don't know but what i do know is very few dogs are given up for the reason that was actually the reason. If your dog nipped at your baby, are you going to say, hey, my dog, my shepherd, nipped at my baby, and that's why I'm getting rid of him? Or are you going to say, my baby suddenly became allergic to the dog? <clears throat> well, you know, uh, maybe that's true, but probably not. So, you know, instead of, you know, lying because people, you know, don't want their dog to be put to sleep. If they said, oh, yeah, he bit my baby, that's why I'm giving him up, the shelter wouldn't take him or they'd euthanize him. So when you get your rescue dog, 
don't the first day start sticking your face or letting your kids stick their faces near the dog, give the dog enough time. That doesn't mean you're going to, like, let the dog just randomly take over your house. But what it means is start setting rules, start setting boundaries, very nice, gentle ones. But don't worry about the dog loving you and bonding to you. If you're good to him and you're the leader, he'll want to bond to you. He'll want to follow you like my dogs do. He, it will happen. The problem is that, you know, of course, when we don't do certain things and we set our dogs up for failure instead of setting our dogs up for success, then we say, oh, no, you know, I got this rescue dog. It was terrible. Oh, he was great for the first week or month or two months. Then he turned into a monster. He's terrible. He's chasing people for food. I just was on the phone with a young lady who has a coon hound that, you know, first week or two was was great, and then it kind of got a little worse, and then by five or six weeks, the dog was snarling and snapping and growling at them for food. What do they do? Well, they have an obedience trainer come in. Nothing wrong with obedience, but you have a dog who's food reactive and food aggressive and food possessive, so what do you do? Let's use food and make them more motivated by food. No. Why don't you first figure out why the dog has nutritional issues and why he's craving food and why he needs food so badly? There's generally speaking, there's a reason, whether it's a physical reason or an emotional reason or the age that the animal is, but there's always a reason for things, that there's a reason dogs do what they do. And dogs do what dogs do because they're dogs, the same way it's women do things that women do because we're women, or men do things that men do because they're men. There's not too many women who would think it was a really fun day to sit with our buddies and eat hot wings and, you know, and beer and just burp and fart all over the place and, you know, look at, you know, girly magazines, we wouldn't probably find that really attractive. You know, we like different things, and that's what's great. You know, we, we like different things. But you have to understand, like my joke about, you know, if your husband is, or boyfriend is watching the Super Bowl, and, you know, he's watching the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, and even if you hate Dallas, which most people do, but even if you hate Dallas, you're still going to watch the cheerleaders because they're, you know, they're beautiful girls. And you, he's sitting drinking beer with his buddies, and he's got, you know, he's betting, you know, on, so he's got his money. Well, there are some basic things that motivate a lot of men. I'm not going to say all, but most or many men. Boobs or booty, ball games beer with their buddies and bucks, right? They're wagering money. They're betting on their on their teams. So if you know that that's what your husband or boyfriend or significant other, male or female, but probably male, is motivated by, then don't get mad with him and don't get upset at him because, you know, he when you go to say, honey, we need to sit down and have a heart-to-heart talk. Really, during the Super Bowl, you got to do that? I don't want to talk to you. Get out of the way. And he's with his buddies. So, you know, why would you set him up and set your marriage up for failure? You wouldn't. You would have the, the intelligence, most, most of the time we would hope you would, to wait until after the game or the next day or a couple days after the game and then sit down and say, honey, we really need to talk, okay? I was going to tell you this during Super Bowl. I wanted you to enjoy it with your friends but this is bothering me. We need to talk about this. He's going to be a lot more open to talking when he's not, you know, in the middle of the heated, you know, competition of the Super Bowl. 
which, by the way, is responsible for many C-sections being postponed for a day or two after. Right, Jody? Okay. So, you know, another thing that's very, very important to understand when you're dealing with a dog is try not to motivate the dog by using food. It doesn't mean that if the dog runs away, you can't take some, you know, kibble and throw it in a bowl and try to lure him with it. But the problem is I think that most of the time people are trying to desensitize a dog to food with food. That, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If you have a dog who's food aggressive, food reactive, food possessive, territorial, whatever it is, and you've got this dog and he's, you know, being, uh, you know, kind of a, a pain in the neck and he's being aggressive or he's getting way too motivated over food and, you know, instead you know, you decide that you're going to, you know, oh, let me give him a bone. That'll, that'll calm him down. Well, no, that's the whole problem. Figure out what it is. Why? Why is the dog doing that? Why is he doing that behavior that he's doing? And if you figure out why, then you can backward chain out of it. You can figure out what you need to do to get the desired behavior. Now, what's very handy is if you get a copy of my book, it truly is a great book. Thousands and thousands of people have bought this book, and I've got such really awesome, um, you know, kudos from people and a lot of private messages and emails. People say, and I mean, my good friend Temple Grandin loved it. She, you know, it's all about why dogs do what dogs do. It's about the heredity. It's got genetics about why behaviors come through and how. It's a little bit also. Um, about, you know, why certain designer breeds might not be the best choice and why you have to be sometimes careful of rescues. And it talks about why dogs do what they do, why dogs develop certain behaviors if they come from a certain situation or if they perhaps have a, uh, you know, a, a problem or an issue where it could have come from. We're going to talk about the book in a moment, so please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Share the incredible process of shelter dogs whose lives are saved and are saving the lives of special needs children. As a dog owner, you know that dogs can eat just about anything. But when food becomes a health troublemaker, or your animal has been on antibiotics or heavy meds, or GI issues set in, your animal's gut may be out of balance and needs Goo Gut Rescue. Goo Gut Rescue is 100% natural and veterinarian prebiotic and probiotic formulated to rescue your animal's gut from bad bug dominance. Remember, your dog's total health begins with gut health. Don't delay. Visit GooGutRescue.com. Learn how to teach your dog how to be a service dog. And welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with Janice Wolf. Well, we're talking about my book, and it's the latest one. The latest one is really the best. The other one I actually pulled out of print because it was too, uh, too uh, self self-effacing um, on one of, the, one of the things, and those of you who have read it, you'll know what I'm talking about, was not on myself, but um, my, my latest book, it's really great, it's called Shh Happens, S-H-H-H, Happens, Dog Behavior 101, and what's great about the book is it really goes into the why, like I said, it talks about genetics, it talks about 
the difference between rescues and getting a dog from a, a really legitimate, great show breeder um, or getting a dog at a pet store or getting a dog, you know, that, that you find on the street. It explains the different pitfalls and promises that are associated with each. And it really is, you know, a very important aspect to understand what the potential issues could be that you'll be facing based on, you know, where you get the dog. That doesn't mean that's going to happen. It doesn't mean that you can't get, you know, go to a great breeder and have a dog who's dog aggressive. But chances are better that you're going to at least be able to go and see the parents, to meet the breeder, to see that their genetic and health screenings done. So at least you've got a little better chance of that. Worst thing is pet stores. Pet stores are worse than anything because you go to a pet store. Now, if I, not that I would ever do this, but if I bred Ridgebacks to sell to pet stores or sold them on the Internet without meeting people and, and having a, a, you know, a good relationship with that person, I'd get kicked out of my parent club. Well, there's a reason that, you know, that that is. That's because, unfortunately, too many people breed really pretty poor quality dogs and it's not just the dogs that are the poor quality but it's the background of the dogs so in other words if you take a dog that let's say somebody's selling in a pet store and let's say it's a cockapoo and i'm not bashing cockapoos although as a general group i've seen more aggressive and dysfunctional cockapoos than almost any other if not any other combination of dogs you're taking a dominance of a poodle. Poodles are great dogs. I do very few purebred poodles because they're generally very good dogs. And uh, you take the, you know, the cocker, which I had a cocker for, for four years. I had a cocker spaniel um, that we got because he, we were babysitting for him and the owners never came back for him. And he was a great dog, really, really sweet dog. But I put a lot of time into him and I'm me, you know, so it's not like he was with just, you know, a family. So um, the average one gets, you know, they're not great with kids, and cockers aren't even that great with kids at all. Most people, legitimate breeders who breed cocker spaniels, will not sell to a family with little kids. They're, and they're some of the cutest-looking dogs. I mean, you get a cute cocker. I mean, there's not too much cuter than that. They are adorable. But, again, you know, it's making sure that the dog is appropriate for your family and for the, the situation for which you are planning to put him in or her in. So, again, if we take a dog that, uh, let's say, a cockapoo, and we're, we're obviously not going to be going and buying an extremely well-bred cocker spaniel and a you know, Westminster-winning uh, show dog poodle, we're going to be getting from some pet store or some backyard breeder or somebody who's got a mostly whatever it is, because it doesn't even have to be papered, right? It kind of looks like that, and, well... It's, it's a half poodle, but it looks enough like a poodle, and when they're puppies, you can't tell. And by the time the thing grows up, and it's six months or a year old, and you go, God, that doesn't really look like a poodle mix. kind of looks more like a, you know, like a cocker with maybe a Maltese with a, maybe a Bija. You know, it doesn't quite look well. You know, you just spent two or $3,000 for a mutt. You could have gone to a rescue or shelter and gotten a great dog, and the difference is that the, the dog that you're going to buy in a pet store, unfortunately, his parents are still living in that pet in that hellhole, probably living in, you know, wherever it was at the, the dog, the puppy mill. So 
you know, when you get the puppy and you think you're rescuing it, you're not. You're actually, every time somebody buys one and, quote, unquote, rescues it from the pet store because they feel like, oh, poor thing, and that's what the pet stores count on, you're actually continuing on that practice. If people stopped buying them and the stores got stuck with these dogs and had to give them away and lose money, they would stop buying from puppy mills. They would stop buying mixed breed dogs, right? And instead of that, they would start to, uh, you know, actually just have dogs that were from good quality purebred breeders or rescues. And that's really all we need to do. I don't think there's anybody who's for puppy mills, um, except if you're a puppy mill owner. But what I am is for purebred dogs because, listen, I love my Ridgebacks. I trust them. They have a temperament and health, and I can count on that. And that's a very, very good thing. But it's taken me almost 30 years, and I've had for the last 20 years, I've had rock-solid dogs. I've never had any mistakes or bad dogs, but they've definitely gotten just better and better and better through time because I know what I'm looking for, and I know what I'm picking, and I'm making sure to take these dogs and to health test them, genetic test them, make sure they're the best, the strongest, they live the longest. And that's a great thing. So, you know, a pet store and a puppy mill, they don't care. They really don't care. If that dog dies in two years, they don't care. You'll go buy another one. Or the pet store will close down and, you'll, you know, they'll open up somewhere else. That's where I think we have to all kind of band together. Now, the other thing is if we're going to get a dog and we go to a rescue. Now, granted, a rescue, it's a little more risky or a lot more risky. But I think probably getting a good rescue is probably easier than getting a good one from a pet store. So, again, if we're talking about having a dog, and you even whether you get a puppy or you get an older dog, you're going to have a two-month honeymoon period, no matter what, even if you go to the best breeder in the world. The two-month honeymoon period means that you're going to be having about two months before that dog is going to realize that, oh, I'm staying here, and now this is it, so I guess I better, you know, kind of check things out. And that's when you're going to start having issues if you are. Not all the time, but most of the time. So now you're going to have a dog with behavioral issues who, you know, let's say he's, he was perfect for a month and a half or two months after you got him, and now all of a sudden you're starting to see problems, and now it's two and a half, three months. And you say, wow, he didn't do that two months ago. He didn't do that when we got him. Well, it's the same thing as when people are, you know, dating and, you you know, you're going out and, you know, you're so nice to each other at the beginning and, you know, you're careful. You, if you have to itch your nose, you kind of turn your head or you go, you ask to be excused to go to the, the ladies' room or the men's room because you don't want somebody to think that, you know, oh, my gosh, she's picking her nose first date. That's disgusting. It's a deal breaker. So, again, you know, you, you're on your best behavior. But now think about after you're together for a couple of years, right? And for dogs, a couple of years is really only a few months. And, you know, now it's like, ah, oh, I know him. Yeah, it's fine. Everything's good. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that. All right. Well, now, because they like me, I can do whatever I want. And then the dog starts developing those issues. Just remember, with a rescue dog, unless it's a puppy, puppy, puppy that was abandoned um, or, you know, mama had them under a trailer in a trailer park, you know, even any dog, is it was given up for a reason. Somebody didn't keep that dog and want that dog. And if they didn't want that dog, there was a reason. You just may not know it until after the honeymoon period is over.
We'll talk a little more, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Share the amazing stories of shelter dogs whose lives are changed by changing others. For your dogs, running beside your bike is more rewarding canine exercise than any walk. It's also more dangerous. Until now, introducing the amazingly stable Bike Toe Leash, the only safe dog biking attachment approved by the American Pet Association. The Bike Toe Leash installs in seconds on bikes, trikes, power chairs, and mobility scooters. No tools needed, and dogs learn it immediately. With a Bike Toe Leash, both dogs and rider can enjoy fun recreation anywhere, no matter what your ability level. To learn more and order your Bike Toe Leash, visit BikeToeLeash.com. That's BikeToeLeash.com. Bike Toe Leashes are made in the USA and ship worldwide. That website again is B-I-K-E-T-O-W-L-E-A-S-H dot com. Share the incredible process of shelter dogs whose lives are saved and are saving the lives of special needs children. And welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog with Janice Wolf. Well... We're talking about dogs again. Yeah, we are. And we're discussing the differences between getting a dog from a shelter or a rescue. Hey, what is the difference between a shelter and a rescue? There is a definite strong difference. And maybe that's something we should continue on today. And as a matter of fact, that's where we're going to go for the next seven or eight minutes. One of the things you have to understand, a rescue group, whether it's a breed rescue, an all-breed rescue, will generally vet you out, if you would say. Not vet out your dog, he'll do that too, but vet you out, check you out to make sure that you're going to be a good owner and to make sure that you're going to be the kind of person who's going to be good for that dog. So some places, like 11th Hour Rescue, which is my favorite, do a really good job of making sure that the people are matched up well with the dogs. Other shelters and rescues aren't as careful and then you wind up with you know an 80 year old or a 75 year old woman who's got you know an unaltered 90 pound pit bull because she thought it was cute and the shelter or rescue group actually lets her take the dog i mean that doesn't make any sense but you don't know what you don't know and people are kind of weird sometimes so yes that's true but a rescue group either a parent club which is different than an all breed a parent club will typically only take dogs of that breed or a strong mixture of that breed. So let's say the Ridgeback Club or Shepherd Club. They will, Shepherd Club, I believe, will only take, well, most of the ones I deal with, will only take what appears to be a purebred shepherd. The Ridgeback Clubs will only take typically a purebred or very obvious mix of Ridgebacks. Now, if you have other ones like the Chihuahua Rescue, there are so many chihuahuas. Black chihuahuas are actually the number one dog euthanized. Can you imagine? Black chihuahuas, for whatever reason, black dogs are always like the last one to be adopted. Isn't that crazy? I don't know why, but I guess psychologically people don't take big black dogs. So, you know, the, we get into the, um, you know, which is a better breed and all that. Well, if you have a lab, there are good labs, there are bad labs. If you have a pit bull, there are good pits, there are bad pits. If you take any breed, there are good and bad of each. And the key is that if we have to put any of these poor babies to sleep, 
because we put managed to put four million a year to sleep, which I can't even believe the numbers. But if we're putting four million dogs a year to sleep, I don't want them to be the best dog in the world. I'd rather that they be the dogs who are going to be harder to rehabilitate or the dogs who, you know, have bitten and you can't really trust them. Now, I can fix anything unless it's a physical or, you know, serious like a brain tumor or inoperable fungal lesion or something like that. But think about it for a minute, those of you, and I know there are a bunch of you ladies who, I'm going to rescue pit bulls. That's fine. But not everyone is good, and there are a lot that are bad. There are a lot that were fed gunpowder or lead shavings by 15, 16, 17-year-old kids who were breeding them for sport or breeding them to make them mean, and they actually will feed them gunpowder and lead shavings. Can you imagine? So they're trying to make these dogs crazy. Well, now you get one of these puppies, from, you know, that's been eating or licking lead paint in a, uh, which is what I keep telling people, and everybody seems fascinated with my idea, but a lot of dogs that come from inner cities have behavioral issues, the same reason as a lot of little kids come from coming from inner cities have problems, because they were exposed to lead paint and eating paint chips and licking paint when they were kids, when they were little, and it does damage the brain. So, you know, we, we never really know with a dog, where it came from. And it doesn't really matter, but when you start developing behavioral issues, you need to get a copy of my book. It really does help a lot. You can get it on Amazon. It's called Shh Happens, S-H-H-H, instead of the S-H-I, you know, other word. It's S-H-H-H Happens, Dog Behavior 101 by Janice Wolf. And it is a great book. Like I said, it will help you a lot. It will even explain to you about the differences between shelters and rescues and, uh, you know, the different things that you need to do and research and about foods and what kind of foods and what kind of vitamins and all the different things that really people don't talk about. You know, you need a license to drive a car, but you don't need a license, unbelievably, to buy a dog. You need one to get a gun most places, but you don't need one to buy a dog. You just need to put a license on it so it's registered, but licensing a dog is just registering them so some government bureaucracy can get your 25 or 30 bucks. That's why that's done, because there's no reason to charge more for an unaltered dog. They do that because they're trying to get people to spay or neuter. But, you know, if you're going to have a four, five, six, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollar spay or neuter surgery, you know, saving $10 on your licensing or registration every year for your dog really I don't think is, you know, going to be something that's going to motivate people, you know, to uh, spare near their dogs for $10 a year when it would be $100 credit when it would cost you a lot more. But, again, that's why they do it. So um, I do want to go very briefly to um, a question from one of our audience members. Um, this is one that I, I got a few weeks ago, and I'm really sorry that I did not answer it yet. But it's a very interesting one. It's about a German short hair pointer that they are trying to train to go off leash, and the husband wants to take the dog hunting. I might have mentioned we get a lot of calls and uh, emails, and you're certainly welcome to email us at Janice, J A N I C E, at United, the letter K, the number nine, professionals with an S dot com, 
or you can call our 800-855-4K9PROS. We'll be happy to answer the phone call or your email. And so this gentleman was taking this German Shorthair Pointer, very pretty dog, out, um, you know, to hunt. And the dog was a little bit gun-shy, and he seemed to be kind of afraid, not just of noises, but of, of things that were, you know, a little bit close, that like a bird flying out close to him. He would get startled and run instead of what he should have done is say, hey, there's a bird, let me go get it for you, Dad. So um, what it turned out is that when, the, when they were at home and the uh, dog was doing something wrong, you know, let's say the dog was jumping up on the table or begging for food, the, the wife, you know, unbeknownst to the husband, the wife had one of those crazy cans of compressed air that, I mean, they'll blow your eardrum out. You could literally pop somebody's eardrum with that. So she was taking the can of, um, of air, which has an extremely loud, obnoxious, scary sound, and so when the dog would do something wrong, she would zap the dog with the air. So then every time the dog heard a gunshot or heard a loud noise or was startled by the flapping of birds, he associated the fact that he was hearing this burst of air, which sounded scary, and he was being punished. So poor dog, every time something was moving or something, you know, made a noise, he was thinking that he was being punished and he was doing something wrong and he was running away. So dogs are very complicated. People don't realize how dogs are just very, very intelligent and they're doing a lot of things that we don't even realize because we're not as smart as they are sometimes. So if you have a dog who needs help, if you have a dog who has behavioral issues, or if you think you might have what it takes to join our team of natural canine behavior rehabilitation specialists all around the world, you know, get in touch with us at 855, the number 4, the letter K, the number 9, pros, 855-4-K9-PROS. Or if you want to get involved with Merlin's Kids or any of the programs, you can call 855-HI-WYATT. That's 855-HI-WYATT or www.merlinskids.org. And we will help you. We'll help you fix your dog. We'll even help you find your career of your dreams. Well, we've got to go. It's time to go again. But we'll see you next week. Make sure you're here on Friday also for the Love a Dog on Friday. Have a great week. Take care. Learn how to teach your dog how to be a service dog. 